And so what we're doing is we're starting a brand new series today called Holidays. And what we want to do is we want to help to prepare you for the holiday. Because here's what I do understand about the holidays. The holidays can be full of peace. It can be full of joy. It can be full of anticipation. You get to see relatives that you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe you have family members flying in. Maybe you're flying somewhere else or you're driving somewhere. And there's all this excitement and anticipation that takes place. But here's what I do also understand. Um, the holiday for a lot of people comes with a lot of hurt, comes with a lot of pain, because um, for some of us, we're going to sit at a table, and that loved one is not going to be there this year. For some of us, we're going to sit at a table and realize that you haven't talked to your father or your mother in five years, and now you've got to finally look at them face to the face, and you've got to have a conversation with them. Or maybe you're sitting next to a brother who you gave money, and he hasn't paid you back yet, and it's really awkward, right? And so you have all these things that are brewing up. How many of you know family has the ability to give you the most joy, but they also has the ability to bring you the most hurt and pain? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I want to help prepare you because the holiday, if you're not careful, it brings up relationships, it brings up disappointments, and it brings up stress. And sometimes we just want to escape it all. Right? We want to get away from it. We want to get away from the crazy relationships. We want to get away from the stress. We want to get away from the anxiety or the depression. And so what I've done this morning is I've titled this message, Travel Light. And let me explain why. Anyone an overpacker in here when you go on a trip? Anybody like you're going on a trip for four days, but you pack for 40? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Whenever we go on family vacations, I'm at the point now where I'm just going to hook my house up to it because my wife brings the entire house. You know, so... Um, but we, we pack so much stuff, and in her defense, we do have six kids, and uh, I, I'm kind of a neat freak when it comes to the van, like, it, it, like they're just fine to just throw everything in there, so about 14 hours while we're driving, I am just crawling out of my skin with all the stuff that's in there. But if you've ever been to an airport, you understand this, it is a whole lot easier to get around if you have less baggage, right? And, and here's what's crazy. The airport even makes a profit on the more baggage that you have. So the more luggage that you have, they make money off of you, right? They're like, oh, you want another bag? No problem, $100,000, right? So think about it this way. The more baggage that you have going into the holidays, let's just talk about, let's get rid of the holidays, going into life, going into relationships, the more luggage that you're carrying, Life is just weightier. And what would it look like if the journey that you were on right now, you had a little bit less baggage? You had a little bit less things that you were dealing with? Because here's the natural knee-jerk gut reaction to most human beings when we experience pain. Stuff it down. Right? But here's what I want you to understand. You don't stuff anything down, you just add another carry-on. You just add another baggage and you keep going through life and you go, why, is, why are things so heavy? Why are things so difficult? It's difficult because we're not traveling light. We're traveling heavy. We're packing up everything with us. You know, we, as Christians, really, not even as Christians, but just as humans, we're really good at saying this one phrase that doesn't really make any sense, but we kind of find it to be true. We're like, well, the past is in the past and it doesn't bother anymore. Can I tell you something? If you don't deal with your past, your past will destroy your future. It will. If you don't deal with your past, it will always come and meet you in your present and in your future. The one thing that complicates travel, the one thing that complicates the journey is how much baggage you have. Start thinking about it. Start thinking about the people that you care about most. 
Start thinking about the relationships that you have and the difficulties that you have inside some of those relationships. Most of the hurt and most of the pain in the relationships that you have is because you're carrying baggage and they're carrying baggage and all that baggage just comes together, right? You ever naively got married when you, how many of you guys got married like in your 20s, you got married young and you believe the lie that when we get married, all of my problems will go away? But here's what's crazy. You took two sinful people and you put them in the same house and you don't get perfection. You get more sin. (laughs) You get more hurt. You get more pain. We all have to watch out for excess baggage. And the truth is I want to be able to help prepare you what it would look like if we started traveling light. Because here's what I understand. All of the hurt that you experience in your life is often done to you by the people closest to you. How many of you, the greatest and deepest hurt that you've experienced in your life comes from your family? From, from your mom, from your father, from your husband, from your wife, from your children. And this is the reason that many of us try to avoid deep relationships, right? We avoid deep relationships because our experience of getting close to people is people hurting us. So what do we do? We isolate ourselves because we say, well, if everybody's like that, then guess what? I'm just going to carry all my baggage myself, right? I'm going to just go on this journey myself. But I want you to understand something. Through all of your pain, through all of your baggage, what if God was doing something in the midst of that? What if God actually sees everything that you're carrying? See, when you're carrying baggage, you fail to remember that, or you fail to forget, or remember that God is actually seeing you in all of that, and he knows exactly what you're walking through. I want to share a story with you. It's in Genesis of a guy who literally had every reason to carry around his baggage and even use his baggage against people. The story of Joseph And Joseph, as a young boy, he gets this dream from the Lord. And the dream is this. Joseph, one day your brothers will bow down before you and you will rule the nation. Now, how many of you know as a 16-year-old teenager, if you got that vision from the Lord, like you don't keep that to yourself, (laughs) right? You go to your brothers immediately and says, listen, God showed me a dream that one day all of you will bow down before me and kiss my feet, (laughs) right? That's just what you do. But, but here's the truth. So he shares this with them, and what do they do? They're not like, oh, man, that's so awesome. No, they're jealous. And so what do they do? They, they go out, and they dig a hole. They throw him in the hole. They sell him into slavery. So, so I want you to understand something that happens to Joseph. His brothers sell him out. Not only do they sell him out, later on he gets a job in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar's wife wrongfully accuses him of trying to sleep with her. So I want you to understand something. He's been hurt and wrongly rejected from his family. So he's got that baggage, okay? How many of you know that's a lot already? Now he's got the baggage of being wrongly accused of something that he didn't even do. He didn't do it. And then all of this, he looks at his family Everybody that he's ever gotten close to, and he realizes one thing, everybody in my life has let me down. Everybody's failed me. All the deepest relationships that I've gotten close to have hurt me. And through all the pain, here's what I want you to understand. Through the 22 years of pain, God was actually preparing him to be second in charge. 22 years pass, 
and Joseph is going to come face to face with all of his brothers. So imagine it this way, there's been famine in the land, and the family travels to Egypt, and at this time, Joseph is the second in command. God has elevated him to this position, and they had this huge line of people waiting to get grain, and looking down the line, Joseph sees, oh my gosh, that's my brothers, the ones that sold me out, the ones that betrayed me. How many of you in that moment would feel rage? How many of you in that moment, you'd want to abuse your power? I'm the second in charge. I could do anything I want to them right now. I could, t- I could snap my fingers and somebody could bring me their head. I could snap my fingers and somebody could dig a hole and throw them in it and they could experience exactly what I've experienced. How many of you know when you, somebody hurts you, you want to hurt them back so they can feel what you feel? Joseph was in that position to do just that. But let's read what happens in, in Genesis 45, 1 through 3. 22 years passed, he's looking at his brothers, this is what happens. It says, Joseph could stand it no longer, there were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with just his brothers. When he told them who he was, they broke, then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. He says, I am Joseph. He said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. You imagine what his brothers felt in that moment? They thought he was dead. They thought he would have never made it. They surely didn't think that he was going to be second in charge, right? And now they're standing face to face. Could you imagine all the questions that he has? Years of pain, years of regret. Years of hurt, and now he finally has this moment to bear his soul. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give you three choices that you have to make when you've been hurt by others. Show of hands in here, how many of you have been hurt by others? If you're not raising your hand, you're not experiencing this thing called life. (laughs) It's filled with pain, it's filled with regret, it's filled with hurt. See, we say this all the time, feelings are great indicators, but they're horrible dictators. It's a good indicator of where you're at. You should actually learn to listen to them. We talked about that last week. Emotions are not a bad thing. God gave them to you. And oftentimes, it's a red light blinking in your own soul that something is going on. But if you learn to make decisions by those emotions, you usually make terrible decisions. So here's what I have learned. You cannot control what other people think or say about you but you have 100% control on how you respond to them. So there's three choices that we've got to learn to do, especially walking into this holiday, dealing with relationships, dealing with stress, dealing with anxiety, dealing with all these things. Number one, choose to pray for people. Choose to pray for people. And you say, why would I do that? I want to show you something, because I know when I say these things, some people go, well, you don't understand my family. Because let's be honest. When we, when we start wanting to pray for other people that have hurt us, they're like, oh, Pastor Zach, no problem, I'll pray for them. God, have you ever heard of swine flu? Give it to them. <laughs> Leprosy, the plague, <laughs> kill them, <laughs> you know? That's what we want to pray. The greatest example of all time of somebody praying for other people who have done devastating things to them is Jesus. Think about it. At Jesus' birth, Herod sought to kill him. Imagine how that would affect you as a child. Your mom starts telling you that story. Hey, did you realize when you were born, 
like an entire country was looking for you. They wanted to kill you. That's why we had to move. Oh, wow, great. (laughs) Not only that, in his own hometown, with the people that he grew up with, people tried to push him off a cliff when they realized who he was. Think about this. Out of the 12 men that Jesus had on his team, his disciples, 10 forsook him. As he was dying on the cross, only one was with him, John. So by the time Jesus is dying, none of his closest friends are with him. All the people that said, we're going to be here with you till the end, only one was with him. And then you have this opportunity when all these people have been affected and impacted by Jesus. And Potiphar literally stands up, he says, who do you want? You want Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas. They don't even know who Barabbas is. So imagine all of the hurt, all of the pain. If Jesus had a reason not to pray for people, he had a list. He was hanging on a cross, betrayed by mankind, and worse yet, by his intimate, close friends. And what does Jesus do in this moment? This is crazy what he does next. Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. What? Think about this. While they're there hurting him, he's there praying for them. (laughs) How do you pray for somebody that's wounded you? How do you pray for somebody that's hurt you? Jesus even goes further to say, but to you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Now, I know what some of you are asking. Well, you don't understand, Zach. I've been praying for that person for a long time, and it hasn't changed a thing. Listen, your prayers may not change them, but it will always change you. (laughs) It may not change them, but it will always change you, because here's what I've understood. You can't hold a grudge for somebody and continue to pray for them. You can't hold on to bitterness and continue to pray for that person. See, hurt people hurt people. And when you realize that everybody else in life has a bunch of baggage just like you do, you start having a whole lot more compassion on people. Because can I be honest with you? The same offense that you have towards somebody else, somebody is offended that you hurt them as well. (laughs) Like the same baggage that you're carrying against somebody else, somebody else is carrying baggage of something that you've done for them, to them. So I want to challenge you this morning. Did somebody hurt you? Pray for them. Did somebody take advantage of you? Pray for them. Did your mom or dad let you down? What would it look like if we started to pray for them? As I said earlier, it's hard to hold a grudge and pray for people. It's hard to do it. Number two, we've got to choose to bless people. Choose to bless people. Romans 12, 19 through 21 says it this way. Beloved, do not be obsessed with taking a revenge. I know many of us read that and we're like, dang it. (laughs) Like I said, when somebody does something to us, we want to do it back to them. We want to go like, God, step out of the way. I got this one, right? Watch this. But leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scripture says, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. (laughs) Win him over with kindness For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience, and God will reward you with favor. 
Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. And another way to say it is this, repaying evil for evil doesn't overcome evil, it only continues it. It's crazy, this is why I love the gospel, this is why I love Jesus, because the world says hurt them, Jesus says help them. World says hurt them, pay them back. Jesus says help them. Maybe for you it's an encouraging letter, maybe it's a simple act of kindness. When you came in here, you got a card that looked a little bit like this. It's sitting in your seat right now. And what we want to do is we want to turn some of this into an action of what we're actually talking about this morning. Because how many of you know, especially in church, we're really good at saying amen. We're just really bad at actually following through. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Oh, that was good. And we walk out of here and we forget everything, right? So I want to give you an opportunity to turn this into an action. This is a card that simply just says something to show God's love, God loves you. And then on the back of it says, so do we, and it has our church website on it. So here's what I want to encourage you to do today, or this week following up to Christmas. Take this card, and when you're having a really bad day, when you're stressed out, when you're anxious, when people have hurt you, I want you to pull this out, and when you're sitting in McDonald's, I want you to pay for the coffee behind you and leave them the card. Or when you're sitting at a table and you see a family struggling, you pay for the dinner if you're, in the, if you're able to do that. Because here's what I understand. The scripture teaches us that kindness leads people to repentance. And unfortunately in our world today, it's one of the saddest things that I notice, is Christians have become the morality police. We like to tell everybody how wrong they are and they shouldn't do this. You shouldn't listen to that music. You shouldn't dress this way. I can't. Do you even care about the single mom that can't pay her rent? We're so busy about what somebody should or shouldn't wear, what music they shouldn't. It doesn't matter. I really believe Jesus doesn't care. Because <laughs> Jesus is looking down and he's going, man, there's people that genuinely need me. And can, can I be honest with you? Just because you say you're a Christian, people could care less. They can care less. You show kindness guess what? They believe you. Guess what? All of a sudden you got their attention. All of a sudden they're going, I don't know what I just experienced, but that was God. And and here's the truth. That's what changes people's lives. I shared this story in the first service, but a few years ago, before we ever started this church, my wife and I went on a date in Lafayette and we were still living in Jennings at the time and we're coming back and I guess God was just preparing us to be here in Crowley. Her car broke down at the Waffle House in Crowley. And so we're like, oh, well, let's just eat dinner, right? It's my first and last time eating dinner there. (laughs) If you work there, I'm sorry. Um, So we show up, and I could tell that this waitress is just having a terrible day. And I literally, it was not an audible voice from God. It was just this pressing in my heart that I felt like God was telling me, give her the money you have left in your wallet. I'm like, that's great for you to say, God, but it's my money, (laughs) right? And this was when we were barely making anything. $20 was like $20,000. I have 20 bucks left in my wallet. And I remember eating the meal and I'm talking to my wife and we're trying to engage. And, and just the whole time, God is unsettling my heart. I remember having this conversation because naturally I'm, I'm, I'm a rebel. I like to, like, I'm like, God, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you picked the wrong dude, okay? And God's like, you need to give her the money you have left in her wallet. And I remember literally kind of just in my head going, I'm not doing it. Pay for the check. We walk out and I come to the door and I feel God just like, you better do it. (laughs) It's like, dang it. So I turn around 
And, and, and can I be honest with you, the reason that I didn't want to, because I didn't know what to say, right? We always make excuses like, well, what do I say, God? I thought that, that I had a problem giving her the 20 bucks. It was like, I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to look like a fool, right? What do I say? Like, God told me. <laughs> I hear voices. <laughs> like, what, what do you, <laughs> what do I do? So I was like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. Pull out the 20 bucks, and I said, I, I, I know this sounds crazy. I know this may sound weird, but I felt like God told me to give you the $20. And in the middle of Waffle House, she breaks down crying. She starts telling me how her husband lost her job, and they don't know what they're going to do, and they don't have any all this stuff. And I walked out of there going, oh, my God, what would have happened if I would have disobeyed? Because what if, just consider this, what if, in that moment, God ordained that moment for her to meet him through my simple act of kindness. And what if she would have never had that unless I would have done something like this? It's crazy what you can do with a simple act of kindness. It's crazy how it even disarms those who are so guarded and defensive. When somebody pays for your meal or somebody leans in, I want to challenge you. Maybe it's simple buying somebody a cup of coffee behind you. Maybe it's paying for a meal. Maybe some of you financially, maybe you're in a much better place than some other people, and you can do a lot more than that. Maybe it's investigating. Maybe it's looking at a family, and you're going, man, hey, I can take care of Christmas for their kids this year. Not, not all of us are in the position to do that, and there's no shame in that. That's okay. I'm just asking you to ask the question, what can I do this year? Because the truth is, that's how we change a community. That's how we change a city. It's kindness. It's not beating people over the head with morality. Number three, we got to choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. Now, why is forgiveness so important? It's so important because there's a verse in Matthew 6 that we love to read the first part. We hate to read the second. <laughs> the first part says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Stop. Throw that on a coffee mug. <laughs> Christian t-shirt. Write a song about it. <laughs> right? The problem is, when you take that verse out of context, you miss what it's actually trying to say. Because the whole verse says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But watch this. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. See, I want you to understand something. Forgiveness is not an elective course in Christianity. It's a requirement. It's a requirement. And you may say, okay, God, I'll make a deal with you. I'll forgive them, but if they do it to me again, it's over. <laughs> How many of you have ever done that? All right, I'll forgive, but if they ever hurt me again, boom, they're out of my life, right? And I would say that Jesus probably knew that we would have this logic in our brain. They'd have this argument, all right, God, I'll listen to you, I'll forgive them this once. And so I believe that he wrote the other scripture for us, this, Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, for all you logical people, you're like, how much is 70 times seven? So when I get to that place, does that mean I stop? No. It's hyperbole, meaning infinity, as many times as it takes. 
Now, here's the next question that you have to answer. Okay, I get it. But how in the world do you forgive someone who has cut you so deeply? This is how you do it in Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Here's how you forgive other people. You understand just as you are human and you have hurt people and you have cut people deeply, people have done it to you and you begin to realize, okay, there is this allowance for faults. Can I tell you something? People's pain and the things that they say to you, it usually says more about them than it does about you and what they've walked through and all the junk that they've had to go through in life. I I am certain of this one fact that you will never have to forgive someone more than God has already forgiven you. <laughs> I've, I've been so convicted by this so many times. I remember having a conversation with my pastor, Pastor Jacob, about one of my brothers. I'm like, I, I'm done. I just can't help him anymore. He says, Zach, how many times have you had that conversation with God? God, I'm done. I don't know if you can forgive me anymore. And God continues to lean in. I'm like, dang right? We can forgive because God forgives us over and over and over. See, when I choose to forgive my family member, when I choose to forgive my husband or my wife or my daughter or my friend, here's what I do. In that moment, you have to realize something. God sets a prisoner free. God sets a prisoner free when you choose to forgive. Because here's the truth. If you're waiting on somebody else to say sorry, here's what you've done. You've given them the keys and they don't care if you're in prison or not. And now you've put the onus on them. Well, when you own your part, then I'll forgive. And God says, no, the keys are in your hands. You make the decision. So, let's return to the story of Joseph. How did Joseph respond to his brothers when he saw them face to face? Remember all the emotions we discussed. He's been betrayed. He's been backstabbed. He's been hurt by the people closest to him. He's been accused of things that never had happened. And I want you to understand, in this moment, Joseph holds all the power. He can do anything he wants. Let's look at how he responds, though. This is crazy. Genesis 45, starting in verse 5. Now, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to the place. It was God who sent me here. That's crazy. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. The famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Watch this. Again, he says this. God sent me here ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin. And Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, watch this, forgiveness happens and watch what happens. And after that, they begin talking freely with him. I love that. So there's this recognition from Joseph of going, listen, all my pain in life that I've experienced, all the baggage that I've had to deal with, God had a reason and it's not your fault. 
Can I tell you something? It is so easy to look at your life and go, everything that I've walked through in my life is not because of me and it's because of other people. And listen, some of us have had terrible things happen to us that were not our fault. But could it be that the pain and the hardships and the thing that you walk through in life that God is actually setting you up for something? Because here's what I do know about pain. Is it builds something in you that the easy times of life could never do? And so when Joseph leans in and he forgives his brothers who have obviously done tragic things to them, guess what happens? In that instant, the relationship is restored. It says they begin to talk freely like they were when they were teenagers. They begin to open up and begin to share their lives again. There is never a time when we look more like Jesus than when we pray, bless, and forgive people who have hurt us. So I want to close with this. You know who credit card companies hate the most? (laughs) Those who pay off their balance every single month. They hate it. Why? Because they don't get any interest off of you. You know who credit card companies love the most? Those who pay the minimum payment every single month. Why? Because it builds compound interest over and over. Here's what's crazy. The interest costs you something, doesn't it? You know forgiveness is the same way. If you don't want to clear your accounts today, it just builds compound interest. It just keeps stacking and stacking and stacking. So I want to ask you a question today. Is there anybody that you need to clear the account with? Maybe a father, maybe a mother, maybe a brother, maybe a sister, maybe a husband, maybe a wife. It may even be God. It's okay to be angry. Like some of you are kind of like, God, I'm I'm angry at you because I feel like you haven't seen me, right? You've seen the circumstances and what I've had to walk through and what I've dealt with. This is a message that requires genuine honesty for where you're really at in your soul right now. So begin to ask yourself the question, who is still building that interest in my life? Just stacking on top of it. I haven't forgiven them and it's just getting worse every day. The greatest lie that you can believe, in one of the greatest lies that you can believe is that time will heal things. How many know that doesn't work? If anything, time just gives you more baggage, doesn't it? So here's the question that I want to leave you with. Here's the question that I want to wrestle. I want you to wrestle with. Who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to bless? And who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to bless? And who do you need to forgive? Because listen, until you do these things, you're locked in that prison that prison of offense, that prison of unforgiveness, that prison of negativity, and you can't get out until you start praying for people, you start blessing people, you start forgiving them. And it all starts with understanding that God forgave us of the most tragic things that we've done. And so that's where we start. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult for some. There may be a conversation that some of you need to walk out of here with and maybe you're calling a dad for the first time in four years. 
What would it look like, though, if you could clear the accounts? What would it look like if you could restore the relationship? What would it look like if you could go over for Christmas this year and actually enjoy family? But some of us are not able to do that because we haven't cleared the accounts. And that interest is just building in your dreading the holidays, right? I don't want to see this person. God, please let them be sick for the holidays, right? God never designed you to live life like that. He never designed you to live like that. He designed you to be free.